2: With Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join in the discussion, email us at the Yoga Hour at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, here's your host, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
3: Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and today... We'll be looking at some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of yoga, a philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. Yoga is a word, of course, today that many are familiar with, but not everyone's aware that it has a whole philosophical system and practices for awakened living that are connected to it, and that it means oneness, bringing our attention and our awareness into To our essential spiritual nature, to being, to being restored to our original wholeness, knowing about that and then living in harmony with it. And our topic today is right on point for that, Two Birds in a Tree, the Essential Role of Being in Leadership. And drawing from the Riches of the Upanishads, today's topic invites us to look for a higher sense of self right in the midst of our work environments, and it gives us a roadmap for bringing awareness of our essential nature into leadership bringing being and doing together. What becomes possible when leaders, especially business leaders, approach their work holistically with awareness and interconnection of all life? Might business play a key role, constructive role in this time of planetary transformation? We're joined today by Dr. Ram Nidamolo, who's a dear friend and author of the new book just released, Two Birds in a Tree, Timeless Indian Wisdom for Business Leaders. Dr. Nidamolo is the founder and CEO of Strat Incorporated, which provides advisory services to help Fortune 500 companies develop a corporate vision and strategy for sustainable business. And we're going to talk about that um, today, uh, sustainable in in all of our endeavors and what that's about. The website um, to find out more information is simply twobirdsinatree.com. Welcome, Ram. I'm so delighted that you're here today for the Yoga Hour.
4: Good morning, Umaji. Glad to be here and good morning, everyone.
3: Before we begin our conversation about the essential role of being in leadership, let's take a moment to touch into being ourselves through a moment of meditation.
1: Let's
3: begin by taking a breath, just a good, deep breath, and exhaling that breath, consciously deciding to expand up. being yeah. notice
2: that Can
3: gain aware of essential nature that is beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change and phenomena, it is pure existence being unmoving, unchanging, birthless, deathless being. And when we are anchored there, peace emanates from that essence of being and pervades our mind, the mental field, our emotional nature, the physical body. And we're able to then bring that peace with us wherever we go. So let us remember to do that today, to bring that peace of being into every encounter. Paramahansa Yogananda said there is a fundamental purpose for our lives. To know it, we must understand where life comes from and where it is going. We must consider life's highest potential for development and look beyond our immediate goals to what we ultimately want to accomplish. As we look at our work in the world, uh, whatever segment we find ourselves in, um, I think we could start with one of the fundamental challenges we have is our tendency to try to divide up with that which is whole, seamless, and interrelated. You know we tend to think about our spiritual life and our material life, our family life and our work life, our personal life and our business life and this error gives birth to countless others. Ram, your new book, Two Birds in a Tree, begins with a look at this pervasive problem um, with the all too familiar comment. Uh, this is business. It's not personal. And that suggests to us that when we walk through the door of the workplace, we're somehow expected to leave our real being behind. So let's start with how the story of the two birds from the Upanishads um, touches upon this dilemma, um, our tendency to want to divide things up, and uh, what, what this can teach us.
4: Right. Uh, This story or this image of the two birds is probably the most ancient image that we have of this divide. It's about 3,000 years old, and it talks of the lower bird and the higher bird in the tree of life. And uh, the lower bird is that uh, ego self in us, the self that wants material possessions, the self that's restless, the self that's anxious all the time the higher bird in that tree is uh, being that uh, that wholeness that oneness uh, you were talking about and it's this balance between the two the union of these two birds that this image is all about and um, you know the sanskrit equivalent of that is dva Suparna, sayuja Sakaya, and and so on and the key meaning there is uh, these two birds are eternal friends sayuja Sakaya, always together And uh, while that lower bird is all about separation, the higher bird is about unity. And I see that theme in everything we do and also in everything that business has done so far. And I see that as the big, as the great relevance to where business is going today.
3: Absolutely. And, you know, this, of course, is the theme that is woven throughout your book um, that I think is so relevant in whatever sphere we find ourselves um, today, um, that the tension between, you know, personal gain, organizational gain, business gain, and the sense of the whole you know, being able to find the right balance, um, whether it is the whole of the whole planet (laughs) and the importance of uh, sustainability or even, you know, the whole of our lives, you know, so it's the macrocosm and the microcosm um, that, you know, calls us to come into balance. Um, Tell us a little bit about what motivated you to write this book, and I know that really your whole life journey is in this book. (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, But what was, what are the problems that you encountered Countered with this "quote-unquote" business as usual, um, yeah. that that prompted you towards this work.
4: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned the microcosm and the macrocosm. For the past thirty years, I've been in business either as a, a research scholar, or as a teacher, or as a consultant, or as an entrepreneur, and. Uh, In the past seven years or so, I've now been looking at sustainability, how business can be more sustainable. And I think this is the central theme in business, that business sees itself as separate from humanity and nature. It has its own constrained system within which profits need to be maximized and shareholder um, value needs to be maximized. So it's that kind of separation from the larger concerns of the world which uh, is a problem. And uh, it's, it's something that I also find in my own personal life. Interestingly, in the past 20, 25 years since I uh, became fascinated with Upanishads, I've seen in my own life the separation between what I do in business and what I care about outside of business. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that separation tends to become difficult to manage, as I'm sure it is for everyone who's in the workplace. You mm-hmm. mentioned the beginning, this sort of leaving your real being at the door before you get into cooperation. So I had to find a way to sort of reconcile the two, both in my own life and in what I saw in business. And I would say that's the motivation for this book
3: and you know this this theme that we, that we we're beginning with you know this idea that we actually could separate um you know for teacher uh, for for uh, us in looking at yoga and uh, what we teach in in yoga um you know at the core of this is uh, avidya you know the core problem yes. of not really understanding the truth of what we are yeah. And um, and that then becomes the the primary error that affects you know our family life, our business life, and really you know the the health and well being of our planet. Um, and you know when we look at business and and of course you know <clears throat> you know we've seen so much <laughs> in recent years in the headlines of how our institutions are failing us. And you know right now we're in the midst of government crisis yeah. um, in in the. U.S. that, uh, you know, seems to have a lot of the same coloring, doesn't it? You know, that there's not a vision of, of how this affects, um, the whole. And, you know, more and more people are losing faith in what we would call our guiding institutions. And, you know, business is, is no exception. You know, very few people, I think, trust business today. But I also know that there are many, many businesses who are, um, you know, bringing, uh, greater awareness, um, to the work they're doing, um, bringing sustainability up to the top of the charts and, and, and your book has many positive stories. Um, but what do you think is, it's going to take, you know, for our institutions, for business in particular, which is your area that you're exploring, um, to make the shift <clears throat> that is needed, um, for us to have, um, a higher vision?
4: Yeah, and I think the answer is it takes many things. And uh, one way to look at it is to consider three different levels at which changes need to take place. There's sort of the external level in terms of policies and incentives and strategies and so on, plans. And then there's the second level, which is one level deeper, which is culture, culture and identity, the culture of a company, the culture of government. But I think there's a deeper level, which is what this book gets at. And that's inside us, the changes within us. The kinds of inspiration that needs to drive us, motivate us to think of the whole or to think, to have this larger perspective. I've worked at all three levels and this book is really about that deeper level, the changes within individual leaders, which I believe is very critical. That kind of commitment can transform the other levels. And um so the book lays out this approach and a roadmap and uh, what ancient wisdom tells us about it. Interestingly, this was the main uh, focus of ancient wisdom. Our received wisdom is all about that inner change and how that inner world can transform the outer world.
3: Mm. And, you know, it seems that the very... um Crisis in which we find ourselves, uh, globally and for many people individually, you know, really in these very high paced, um, times, stressful times, you know, trying to find a way in which to, um, to, to live with joy, which you touch upon in your book, um, and to live satisfying lives, to do meaningful work, you know, all these, these stressors, um, and the, the kinds of, uh, crisis that we have on our planet are causing people to ask new questions I think and perhaps for many you know motivating this individual change that um, is is necessary you know for yeah. leaders I think you know many are saying well uh, y- you know what do I need to do and the old ways you know are not working <laughs> and right. so I have right. to be able to find new um, new resources and and it's not Possible for people to keep up with the pace of things, um, you know. And you mentioned in in, yeah. in the book how um, being in touch with with being no. <laughs> within yourself yes. helped helped you in the right. early days, even make it through your doctoral program. Yes. And uh, so I think perhaps the very crisis that we face in so many levels, people are going to have to fall back on something greater than themselves. Do you, do you notice that as yeah. well?
4: Absolutely. You make a great point. And I think that's what uh, drew me to being, being with a capital B. In uh, my work and uh, my PhD, which is uh, a source of tremendous stress in my startup. And I'm sure many of us and the kinds of things we do, there's tremendous uncertainty in the world now. Everything seems to change. Nothing can be taken for granted. So the question that the book poses is in this world of uncertainty and change, what is that one thing we can hold on to? And this, incidentally, is also the oldest philosophical question in the world. And the answer 3,000 years ago was the sense of being, existence itself. That that is the one thing that remains unchanged. That's the one thing that uh, we, at some level, an inner presence inside us can hold on to and can be our anchor. And that's what uh, my attempt was in this book, to describe how that sense of being could be an anchor in the midst of all this change, as it has been in my own life.
3: That is so beautifully said. You know, what is the one thing (laughs) that we can count on? Um, in this time when it seems that everything is changing so quickly around us. When we come back from the break, Ram, let's talk about how we uh, become aware of that one thing and how it actually can become an anchor for us. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with guest Dr. Ram Nidmolo. His website, twobirdsinatree.com. We'll be right back with you.
1: Whether you love the Bible or hate it, turn to it daily or refuse to have it in your house, The Bible Alive! Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap is a program designed just for you. Unity Minister Rev. Ed Townley presents the Bible as a practical, powerful spiritual roadmap full of wisdom and guidance for the challenges of life today. A roadmap for your spiritual journey. Isn't that just what you're seeking? Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Central Time for The Bible Alive! Exploring Your Spiritual Roadmap with Rev. Ed Townley. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
2: listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya ellen grace o'brien we now return to the yoga hour
3: welcome back to the yoga hour i'm ellen grace o'brien and i'm joined today by ram nidamolo and we're talking about being centered leadership and before the break uh, Ram was sharing with us um, the insight which is of course the ancient uh, insight and teaching that there is one thing um, that we can rely on always in life and one thing that never changes in the midst of change and that this one thing can become uh, an anchor for us and of course this one thing is being itself, it's, its unchanging existence itself, the ground uh, of being of our life. So uh, tell us more, Ram, about, um, about being-centered leadership, you know, why you chose that term and what it means um, for active people to be centered in being.
4: Great. Uh, so the word being is something that's uh, simultaneously hard to understand And also intuitively something we know about already. It is because of being that we call ourselves human beings, not human doings. So we have at at a core level instinctive understanding what being means. And that is to exist, the essence of existence itself, which all of us have. Uh, But unfortunately, business itself, the word business is all about activity, busyness in that sense. And in many ways, it's that lower bird in the tree, all about activity, all about doing, not at all about the higher purpose, not about that stability we're talking of. And I, and that's one reason why I chose this word being an ancient concept that we all intuitively understand that has to do with the fact of existence itself is the commonality to all we living beings. But there's another reason for it. And uh, this other reason for being centered leadership is. The sense that through being, we can gain that larger perspective, that sense of the whole, that business lacks, and in many ways, our individual lives lack. So this combination of something that we know instinctively, which will give us that awareness of the whole, of the of the entirety of what we are doing, is what I view as being-centered leadership. Mm-hmm. Being aware of being, and at the same time, acting in this world. That's what I call as being-centered leadership.
3: So it is in a way. It's like the breath, isn't it? So being aware of being, you know, I think of the in breath. You know, being grounded in that which is unchanging and and eternal, and which helps us, I think, fulfill our our highest potential in in life you know to to not get caught in that um yeah. primary error of uh, you know being ego based in our actions but to you know keep expanding our potential but yeah. also then the outbreath um to have being infused doing and you've and you've worked this out so well in the book ram with with the idea that if you know if we're grounded in being it can give us this insight into the wholeness of life itself you know this integrated um perspective which um you know, I think it, of course, is the solution, you know, how we put it into practice, but it is the solution to that um, tendency that we opened with, you know, about um, the error of dividing up life's inherent wholeness. Um, and I find this conflict shows up, you know, um, in classes at the center when I'm teaching Kriya Yoga and is specifically reflecting on the Yamas, uh, yoga's ethical guidelines, you know, recommendations for conscious living that are, you know, being nonviolent or are harmless to self, to others, the environment, being truthful, not taking what doesn't belong to us, not being greedy or out of balance with our energy, so on and so forth. So when I introduce those principles, I find... You know, students will often say something like, Well, you know, this is all well and good here at a spiritual center, but I can't make it work in the world. You know, if I told the truth at work, I would lose my job. I mean, I literally have had students say that to me. Um, Or they say, It isn't possible to work in an industry and practice nonviolence or harmlessness. Our business runs on greed. You know, I can't go in there and, you know, talk to my manager about, you know, not being so concerned about um, problems. So, um, you you know, this is huge, isn't it? You know, do you think it's even possible for business to emphasize um, that the greater picture over this focus on just getting ahead?
4: Absolutely. And I think the way to look at this, which has helped me and hopefully will help others, is really to think of it not as this kind of a switch you turn on, that here you are in your workplace and suddenly you start telling the whole truth. But it's really a journey. And that's what this whole book is about, that this journey from the lower bird to the higher bird is really, it's a difficult journey. It's not easy. The system doesn't assist you in this journey. Everyone around you is preoccupied with their own uh, doing, I guess. But uh, to really see this as incremental steps, small steps that over the course of your lifetime eventually reach a place where you're close to being. And um, so that's as far as your personal life is concerned or your work life. But uh, in terms of business itself, will a being-centered leadership approach work for business? Absolutely. I think the evidence is there because all being-centered businesses are sustainable by definition. They care about nature. They care about humanity. They care about uh, the people who work in the company. So this sense of larger caring, and that works, the evidence for that is quite substantial, and I laid that out in the book. Uh, There was, for example, a study at the Harvard Business School which looked at about 18 years of data, 18 years of uh, companies that were sustainable versus companies that were not sustainable. And it turned out that over the course of these 18 years, the ones that were sustainable outperformed the less sustainable ones by almost 47%, close to 50% in terms of market value. And again, there've been other studies, the book uh, Conscious Capitalism talks of firms of endearment, similar kinds of values, if you're looking for particular companies, Unilever is a great example of a company that's sustainable in the last four years has dramatically outperformed its competition through sustainability. Mm. So the, the evidence is there. The question then is, given this evidence, why don't business leaders adopt this approach? Given that the long-term trend is there, uh, why don't leaders adopt this approach? And that's the question that I address in this book.
3: And, and you do give tools um, for people working in organizations um, that that are very helpful. I was um, appreciating, uh, you know, first at the individual level where you um, give this um, step-by-step method, you know, for how to be in touch with being and then bring it into your action, which you call uh, the real, um, <laughs> which is great using that as an acronym. <laughs> um, so tell us about that, About tell us about the, the real as you've used it as an acronym.
4: Great. And uh, I chose that uh, phrase real or that word uh, real because this is all about the higher reality of business, understanding the higher reality of business, which is the context of business, nature, humanity and being itself. So the first R in real stands for recognizing this higher reality. And I think that's the first and most critical step, even if it's a dim recognition of this higher sense of what business is uh, responsible for, what the ultimate purpose of business is, recognizing that business is not just about profits, but about nurturing, really preserving and renewing its foundations. And its foundations are humanity itself, people, and nature, which often gets forgotten. So recognizing Mm -hmm. that the preservation and renewal of those foundations are central to business, not Mm -hmm. just peripheral and we do see poster.
3: we do see i'm sorry we do see some uh every once in a while I read a story, and of course, there are many in your book, but I read a story in the news you know about a company um that Puts the well-being of employees first, yeah. um, and how you know those companies have also been able to thrive. And I mean, you know, we read the horror stories in the news of you know companies, um, you know, who are setting up conditions in factories that you know are just n- not humane at all. Um, and then we read stories of you know CEOs um, who decide you know to cut their own salary and not that of employees. <laughs> um, you know, in order to make it through um, a difficult time. Um, and so, you know, being in touch with the idea that a company or an organization cannot prosper unless the whole prospers, right? Absolutely. Yeah.
4: yeah and that- there are many examples. It's interesting. In my book, I describe 20 such companies and uh, 20, 21 CEOs who thought this way, acted this way, and all ended up doing well for the company. So there are many inspiring examples. We don't hear of them, but uh, the evidence is out there. It's very clear that uh, companies who think this way, even though it's difficult to think this way and act this way, do better, both mm-hmm. financially and for the world at large.
3: So the first um step in this four step process of real is to recognize being nice. and um and to and to hold it uh you know in your paradigm of um how you do uh what you do and then your your next uh step is experiencing Experience. that so so talk a little bit about that
4: uh, so one key thing to uh realize here, if I use that word realize, is uh, when I say being or when uh, being is used, it's not just in that religious spiritual sense. Being is a term that applies to whatever be your beliefs, religious, spiritual, atheistic, agnostic. It's in that sense a neutral term because we all exist. So it's really the existence principle, not necessarily a particular approach or religious approach to it. So given that kind of recognition. The experiences that you have could well be unique to you, the kind of person you are. And uh, the goal of experience is not just to feel this being in your mind, but to feel it in your entire body, your whole, whole being in that sense. And uh, that is, is that kind of visceral in your gut, in your body experience. That then reinforces this recognition of being, mm-hmm. and that can come in different ways. In my book, I describe how my own startup experience was uh, key to it—that uh, recognition and experiencing of this being. And different people have different means to experience it.
3: So, in a way, you know, I think of it as how do we how do we feel most alive? You know, how are we in touch with a deep uh, aliveness? You know, of our own existence, and um, and then you know, how can we um stay in touch with that you know as we are engaged in um action and this is this is where it comes to what you call anchoring right yes yes um. yeah. And that seems the critical step. So, how do we how do we anchor this aliveness, um, which you know, of course, brings us to interconnection with all of life? It's bigger than us, right? It's not just um, a personal experience, but it's a transpersonal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, how do we how do we anchor that in a way that you know we can bring it into our doing?
4: Yes, and as you mentioned, that is the most difficult. I find that to be the most difficult. Because the key to anchoring is to be consistent, to be steady in that awareness, that aliveness, which is a beautiful phrase that you're using, aliveness of being, to stay there as much as possible as opposed to fluctuating back and forth. And uh, so in a a business sense, that anchoring is uh, in a way to redefine what success means instead of the traditional notion of success, which is in terms of profits or in terms of activity, but to redefine success. For a company, in terms of the well-being of its stakeholders and uh, at an individual level. And this is the other key thing uh, throughout uh, this journey to being is to recognize this correspondence between what companies go through and what individuals go through. After all, when we talk of well-being of companies, we also immediately understand the well-being of human beings. Our well-being is not just dependent on our material wealth, but on our whole self. And in that sense, anchoring in our well-being can give us uh, cues or uh, guidelines to how to anchor in uh, well-being in business, mm. and, uh, mm-hmm.
3: and then and then the last um, part of the acronym of real, of course, is bringing all of this into leadership as as a way of mm-hmm. leading. You know, how does it how does it translate? Um, you you quote uh, Ishopanishad. Uh, he who sees himself in all beings and all beings in his own self loses all fear and embraces the world.
4: Yes, and this is one of my favorite quotations. I think in some ways this sums it up uh, entirely. This is the key to empathy. This is the key to recognizing interconnectedness. The Sanskrit uh, phrase for that. Is yastu sarvani tatona So that person who feels this, who empathizes with all beings, sees himself or herself in all beings, no longer then separates from the world but embraces it. And I think that's the, in my mind, that is the guiding light to how business and individuals and other beings could, uh, at some level, recognize. A path forward. And I think uh, one other thing I want to mention, these stages that I talk about, recognize, experience, anchor, lead, don't necessarily have to be done in sequence. You, you can iterate between them. You may never perfect the recognition, never reach the full recognition that uh, you may want. But in many ways, it is uh, a journey, a journey that uh, may not be a direct arrow to being it goes back and forth. And the key to leadership, in my mind, is leading by example. So it's not leading by talk. It's not leading by speechifying. It's not leading by saying. But it's really leading by what you do and show to others. And I think mm-hmm. that's the most inspirational kind of leadership.
3: And you and you bring up, you know, one of the... Um, parameters uh, of, you know, when when you are able to lead from being, you know, one of the ways you can um, realize that is through joy itself, which you point out as sustained delight. And uh, so it is time for us to go to the break, but uh, when we get back, let's take a look at um, what that means, you know, it is sustained delight and how could we possibly have that um, in, our, in our work and in our daily life I'm Yogacharya O'Brien and you're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Dr. Ram Nidamulo author of the new book Two Birds in a Tree Timeless Indian Wisdom for Business Leaders and you can find out more on his website twobirdsinatree.com we'll be right back with you
2: listening to the yoga hour living the eternal way with yogacharya ellen grace o'brien if you have a question please submit it via email at the yoga hour at unityonlineradio.org and we will respond now back to the yoga hour back to
3: the yoga hour I'm Yogacharya O'Brien, and um, I'm talking today with Dr. Ram Nedimolo, author of the new book, Two Birds in a Tree, Timeless Indian Wisdom for Business Leaders. Um, And although the book is directed um, to business leaders, I want to say that um, I'm finding it totally um, applicable in, um, you know, whatever area, um, of work you're engaged in, because this is, um, I see a vision for our future, you know, of how we bring, Um, our essence of being uh, into um, our effective doing. So that's really the theme and the deep work of the book. So whether you are in a a leadership role in business, whether you're in education or government, um, a spiritual organization, wherever you find yourself, you're going to find these principles um, to be completely um, applicable. And before we went to the break, I um, planted this little seed about sustained development, Delight. And um, this is uh, an area that you point to, Ram, in the book about uh, uh, how we can touch um, stakeholders uh, across um, the full range of what we do. Um, Tell us a little bit about how joy is related to being centered leadership.
4: Right, I think joy introduces a dimension that uh, something like uh, pleasure, for example, does not capture. In many ways, when we look at success, in many in many instances, it's sort of anchored around those things that give us pleasure, whether it's more wealth, whether it's more possessions, whatever it is. These are wants that once you fulfill them, they're not sufficient. You move on to the next. Your neighbor or someone at school or someone at work has more than what you have. And it's this constant treadmill, this kind of hedonic treadmill, that takes us from one pleasure to the other. What the Upanishads talk about is an alternative view, something else which they call joy or ananda, which in many ways you can see as delight, sustained delight, which is much more long-lasting, something that doesn't require comparison at its core, that's intrinsic to you, but at the same time influences all stakeholders. So in this book, I try to uh, identify what such a metric or a way of measuring sustained joy would be and uh, sustained delight. So sustained delight is the end goal. How do you achieve that end goal? What's that compass that you use to steer towards that end goal? And uh, in the book, I talk of uh, long-term stakeholder well-being. And there are two aspects to it. The first and uh, very important aspect is, Ensure that you have many stakeholders, not just your shareholders, not just your customers, but your employees matter, the public matters, partners matter, and so on, local communities matter. So increase the breadth, the inclusivity of your stakeholders. The second key thing is for each stakeholder, think not just in terms of the material self, but also these other levels of self we've been talking about, the humanistic side, the naturalistic side, and being itself. So it's the simultaneous breadth and depth to how you think of stakeholder well being that I see as a, as a way to attain.
3: Oh, that is so refreshing as a model. And I, and I think our listeners are right with me in a sense of, you know, this is a breath of fresh air. Um, because, you know, we, we feel, um, constrained, um, you know, by this bottom line mentality that we have, you know, in, in really all of our institutions. And we really need to find another way, um, to look at it. Because as you say, when the bottom line is all about numbers, um, you know, increasing profits um, or or, uh, a reach in terms of numbers, um, it doesn't ultimately provide um, that satisfaction because it's always a race for more and more, um, you know, which is the very consciousness that is destructive to our planet today. So um, your, your model is really a breath of fresh air and um, you've done a wonderful job of giving us stories of, uh, see, CEOs who are are walking this path. So, and I know many of them are are, are friends, also, and people that you have met. Um, so, tell us um, a story or two of um, these people who are walking a new path.
4: And there are uh, there are really many of them in this book. I identify about twenty-one of them. Many of those names are familiar: Paul Pullman of Unilever, Anita Roddick of the Body Shop, Jochen Zeitz of Puma, and uh, Azim Premji of Vipro. Ray Anderson of Interface, many, many names that in the sustainability world are familiar. But there's one story I want to illustrate that is much less familiar to the world. And uh, this is the story of uh, Dr. Govindapa Venkata Swami. And he was called Dr. V. And uh, this story is beautifully described in a book called Infinite Vision by Pavi Mehta and Suchitra Shanoi. And a book that came out uh, last year, I think. Wonderful book, wonderful person. His life is, in my mind, a great representation of being-centered leadership. Uh, So his story is, very briefly, he was a surgeon in India. And upon his retirement at the age of uh, 58, he decided that he had to do something larger, much larger than uh, what he had been doing at that time. So he set up uh, what uh, became known as the Aruvind Eye Care System to perform cataract surgeries and to restore sight to the blind, to the many millions of people in India who are blind. And uh, in the space of 30 years subsequently, he passed away at the age of 88. He performed about 100,000 surgeries himself, built an organization that helped, that restored sight to 32 million people in the space of those 30 years, created an organization that was simultaneously very effective in terms of business principles, efficient, profitable. It had profit margins of about 45% at the same time, got to the root of compassion, got to the root of that wholeness we're talking about. So simultaneously, a very being-centered organization that also did great things. So I see his life as really illustrating these four stages. And uh, I don't know uh, if... Uh, yeah.
3: is, there, is there a Particular um, key that you can see to how that happened, you know, that you would point out to us. I'm sure that it's very broad based in terms of um, many elements uh, that are present in how he did what he did. But is there one thing in particular that you would point out to us about what, how this became so successful?
4: Yeah, I think, so the answer is twofold. One, what was the key to him internally, I guess? What made him do this despite overwhelming odds? That kind of passion and commitment of dedicating his life to it. So I think the key to that is, aside from his childhood experiences and other experiences, is his encounter with uh, some sages in India, Sri Aurobindo and the mother, who was uh, Sri Aurobindo's companion, and this notion of being that is central to the Upanishadic philosophy. So Sri Aurobindo was uh, probably India's greatest proponent of uh, the Upanishads and this philosophy in the last century. And uh, for Dr. V, his experience with uh, Aurobindo, Sri Aurobindo and uh, the mother was central to how he saw himself. He saw himself as an instrument uh, that was really doing the bidding of being, working for being a perfect... Trying to become a perfect instrument of being—that was his mission.
3: Mm, very and that powerful. In
4: a, in a sense of being, yeah, I see that as just central to the way mm. to Arwin sucks. And instantly, Arvind itself is named after Arubindo. Uh,
3: so in, in in some ways. Um, you know, this is there, of course, for all of us, you know, trying to become a perfect instrument of something larger than ourselves, you know, which is is key to this concept of being. And as you mentioned earlier, you know, regardless of how you see that being, you know, you see it perhaps through the lens of your own faith. Um, you know, uh, a Christian would see it as becoming a perfect instrument of the Christ. Um, another might see it as becoming a perfect instrument instrument of the greater life, you know, the larger, larger life with a capital L, um, but the idea of you know of, of something larger at 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 work within us and through us um i i agree is is a key um and certainly you know has been for me in my own small way of you know making it through times when it was obvious that i didn't know what to do <laughs> but um but the idea that Whatever it is that has the idea, um, the greater idea, the higher idea, in a sense, the higher plan, um, for the well-being, um, of all, you know, is, is supportive, you know, as we, um, identify that, as we recognize it, um, coming back to your model, as we recognize it, as we experience it, um, and begin to bring it into what, what we are doing. Um, before we conclude this morning, Ram, you know, tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your your vision of our world. Of you know, what can become possible um, as people step into this being centered leadership?
4: I would say this vision is uh, how we in our business lives, because we spend so much of our time in uh, business activity. Many of us, not all of us, but many of us. So if if we can find a way in which our personal lives and our lives in business uh don't have this separation in terms of search for being, then we can find a way in which business itself can become what it truly is, the potential that it has to be a force for greater good in the world, this kind of potential this tremendous potential to be a force for this kind of freedom and uh and uh, and uh, restoration of the world. The preservation renewal of the world. So no longer would it be this entity that is viewed as damaging to the world at large, but really a force for greater good because it's anchored in being, because it goes back to ancient wisdom that's been time and tested, time, tested by time over and over again. So that's what I see as a vision, mm-hmm. that being centered leadership leads to a, a business as a force for greater good.
3: And, and, and this force for greater good, of course, is, is grounded, you know, in, and in this vision of being is this sense of wholeness that, um, can, can potentially and hopefully, um, cure us of the short-sightedness of, you know, um, you know, like making products, um, say in the U.S., you know, we all love all of our gadgets, um, but then out of sight is where those gadgets go. You know, when we toss our cell phone and get on a new smartphone, um, you know, we have not necessarily seen that um, old cell phone, you know, going at, to the hands of a child in China who's taking it apart, right? At their own peril and uh-huh. at the peril of our in, environment. And, and I saw, um, article in, uh, Yes, uh, magazine, uh, this week about, you know, this, this is not only a smartphone, but this is a kind phone. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh, talking about, you know, businesses beginning to, um make that connection you know yes. of being like where does it go you know after the profit after the pleasure of the consumer you know where does it go in the big right. in the big circle yeah. and um you know in our global um life these days i think you know one of the blessings is we are beginning to see um the wholeness uh you know of how uh, our choices impact um impact the whole
4: Yes. And imagine you use the word connection. I just want to conclude by saying that this word connection is very fitting that the word Upanishad itself means hidden connections. Mm-hmm. That the real meaning of the word Upanishad is hidden connections. So the one who becomes aware of these hidden connections can then realize this connectedness. So it's all about uh, uncovering these connections and realizing them.
3: Well, and you have given us uh, a wonderful tool um, for how to really access that in ourselves. And I, and I want to say, um, you know, as we conclude, I think the thing that is um, just so rich about your work—I mean, starting from the very title and the story that it's connected to—you know, two birds in the tree. Um, it's it's one tree, and uh, really, those two birds are different aspects of ourselves. And it's not about choosing one or the other, but about finding the dynamic um, balance. And so, of course, I I recommend the book highly, and I want to invite listeners who are in the um, Bay Area in California to come and meet Dr. Nidamulu on Sunday, October 27th. He's going to be at Center for Spiritual Enlightenment from 2 to 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Um, And uh, so you can go online to csecenter.org to find out more information about that. You can also uh, go to the Unity FM archives to find an earlier program with Dr. Nidamulu, Spiritual Economics, Where Sustainability Meets Prosperity. And that was from October 28th in 2010. So in the three years since then, it, it took form <laughs> as this wonderful, <laughs> wonderful book. Um, we'll be back next week, continuing this um, series on spiritual leadership with Reverend Lakshmi Barcel. Um, Focus on the Yamas, uh, Yoga Keys to Enlightened Leadership. I look forward to being with you next week. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour at iTunes. Let your friends know about it on Facebook. We'll be back next week. And until then, stay connected to being. Let your inner light shine into the world. Share your peace and your joy with all that you meet. Thank you again, Ram, for a wonderful program this morning.
4: Thank you, Majid. Thank you, everyone.
2: Thank you for tuning into the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. Speaks Louder Than Words is an inspiring, informative, and fun hour of uplifting, heartfelt music and commentary that delivers a powerful message of love, joy, and oneness. It will keep you smiling and singing along. Your hosts, Rev. Dale Worley and Christy Snow, are alive with the Spirit of God and singing their love to you each Thursday afternoon at 3 p.m. Central Time with Music Speaks Louder Than Words. Music, it's the only thing that the whole world listens to. Music speaks louder
1: than words when you sing.
5: According to an ancient Hindu teaching, if you can only speak the truth and tell no lies for 12 consecutive years, you can attain enlightenment. Resolve to be honest with yourself and others starting today. And after 4,383 days, you just may become enlightened.
1: This meditative moment from Reverend Joan Cattuso and Unity Magazine is brought to you by Unity.
2: must serve a purpose. It must be part of something larger than itself, a part of humanity. If you're in harmony with this statement, you're going to want to tune in to Unity Online Radio's new show, The Traveler. Healing Journeys Through Music with Kathy DeWitt, Minister of Music at Unity of Gainesville, Florida, musician-in-residence at Shands Hospital, and international consultant for the Global Alliance for Arts and Health. You'll hear stories and songs about the healing power of music and meet folks who have been on both ends of it. Join us, join in, and share memories of your own meaningful musical moments, Fridays at 1 p.m. Central Time. Rami and his guests will engage in lively, humorous discussions about what it means to be a spiritual human being in the 21st century. How to Be a Holy Rascal, Wednesdays at 11 a.m., only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.